You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 25, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today I'm going to be speaking with Pete Dunlap, also known as the Digital Detangler. Pete combines years of experience as an educator and software engineer to help people detangle themselves from their devices so that they can live more calm and productive lives. We're extremely pleased to welcome Pete Dunlap to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In today's interview, I'll be speaking with Pete Dunlap, who is also known as the Digital Detangler, which is quite a tongue twister. One of the things he mentions is that uh, when surveyed, many young people said they could live without uh, social media, which is quite surprising. And for this tip, I'd like to ask, do you think you could live without social media? (laughs) And even if the answer is no, Do you think you could live without it for a short period of time? What's the longest period of time you think you could go without it? Is it five minutes, (laughs) an hour, a half a day, a day? And whatever that period of time is, what would happen if you actually tried being without social media for that amount of time? If you think the longest amount of time you could go is an hour, what's the worst that could happen if you tried not being on social media for an hour? Or if you think the longest amount of time you could go without it is an hour, what if you doubled it and tried it for two hours? Now, you know going into it, you can be right back on Facebook or wherever it is that you hang out when you're done. No one's forcing you. And one of the principles of mindfulness practice is to be accepting of where you are now And also to see any change, even if small, particularly see any improvement as a benefit, even if it's small, even if it's a 1% or a one-time improvement. What if you thought you could only go without social media for an hour and you tried it for two? And you were successful in the sense that the world didn't come crashing to a halt. I'd suggest you try it. And in the spirit of mindfulness practice, pay attention to how you feel, what you're thinking about, what your bodily sensations are before you start. You might have some trepidation or fear or other kind of anxiety before you start this period of what sometimes people call a digital detox I interviewed Tiffany Schlein early on, who with her family instituted, starting many years ago, a technology Shabbat where they start on Friday evening and go through Saturday evening without any screens. Now, I say social media, but I would say pick your poison. I really don't use social media very much at all, but my poison is email. That's the thing that I get hooked on. So whatever your poison is, whatever most attracts you or you feel most hooked by technologically, pick that and pick an amount of time. Again, the amount of time is up for you. I think sometimes people get hung up 
on something like a day or a weekend, some fixed amount of time with a, you know, a fixed starting time and a fixed ending time and particularly a long amount of time. And I suspect, and I know it's true for me, when I pick an amount of time that's just unrealistically long or too difficult, it can be discouraging. So I'm all in favor of trying out really short periods of time, however short it needs to be to feel like you can do it and to be able to be present during it and to honestly feel some sense of accomplishment when you get through it and you're okay and the world hasn't ended. And then you might try increasing the amount of time the next time around and see if you can keep increasing the amount of time when you're off social media or email or text messaging or YouTube or Netflix or whatever it happens to be. So uh, give it a shot. Uh, We don't have to wait for social media to disappear to go without it. In fact, it may never disappear. We can always make a conscious choice to set our own intention for how we are going to interact with social media and when we will and for how long and the manner in which we do it. So that's my suggestion for today. Pick your own time, place, duration for exiting, being without, not interacting with social media, and then pay attention to what you're thinking what your emotions are, and what your bodily sensations are before, during, and after. And I hope you enjoy the upcoming interview with Pete Dunlap, The Digital Detangler. Hi, Pete, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hi, Robert. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I'd like to know a little bit about how you got so interested in technology and mindfulness. What motivated you about it and how did you get so passionate about it today? Yeah, thanks, Robert. Um, so I guess I'll start by saying it's, it's, it's a bit of a long story, but growing up, I was always just like slightly uh, different than uh, than other kids. I think it's partly from being a middle child, but I uh, I graduated with a, a college degree in physics and then eventually went back and got my master's in education. And at that point, I, I was looking to, to move. And so my wife and I moved around a bit. And so we lived in the UK for a year and uh, I taught science there. And then we, we moved uh, to the U.S. Virgin Islands for a year and then eventually Ecuador. And so teaching was a great experience in that it sort of I was always very tech savvy, but I was also sort of a late adopter of a lot of technology. Like everyone had cell phones in high school and I didn't get my cell phone until the last semester of college when I was studying abroad. They made me get a cell phone. <laughs> and so so I was always a late adopter, but I was very good at technology. And so when I became a teacher, I was expecting my students, these digital natives, to be so good at technology and to be com- completely honest, I was like super unimpressed by their tech skills. And and so that was that was a big moment for me because I realized a lot of, you know, what they had had experienced was that they used technology a lot. And a lot of us sort of suspected that that meant that they had a lot of skills. But a lot of the, the software they were using, in particular, things like social media, things like messaging platforms were, were really just so easy to use. They don't even come with instructions. 
And so that impressed upon me that that things were not what they seemed in terms of young people and technology. And uh, but I continued using technology. I continued continued enjoying it. And uh, I built a bunch of little apps, you know, to help grade my students' assignments faster. And then, so my wife and I moved back to to the states, and so we moved to Nashville. And at that point, I was I was really trying to dig into something technical. So I became a software developer at that point. And um, software developers feel very differently about technology than teachers do, which teachers are constantly like not adopting technology because inevitably technology fails you at some point and you still have these 30 or 40 kids like staring at you. And so when uh, when I became a software developer, it's the, it's the exact opposite. It's kind of like, why can't users just just understand this? And I was also confronted with a complete lack of structure. I mean, I went from like class starts at this time, class ends at this time. You can use the toilet here. You can have lunch here. And uh, to being a software developer, which is pretty much just like a wide open space with an Internet connection and you're <laughs> supposed to get work done. And so very quickly, I started talking to some of my coworkers and, you know, installing these little widgets and extensions that allowed me to stay focused for longer and to sort of get more work done in, in the amount of time I had. And about that same time, I had begun meditating as well. So that sort of came in together as I was beginning my, my journey in software development. And then right about that time as well, my wife and I are trying to start a family. And so for some people, that's super easy. But for my wife and I, we were, we were trying for a year and a half, so about 18 months, and just no luck. And it was very stressful, in particular for my wife. And so late one night, we uh, were talking and she's upset. And I hate to admit, but I began a sentence with the phrase, <laughs> you know what your problem is, uh-huh. which is like, so, oh, it's just, I wish I could go back and just like slap myself. But, <laughs> but I did that. And, and I said, basically, I thought she was spending just too much time on her, on her laptop and uh, phone after work, you know, all day of, on her, on her uh, laptop at work. And uh, so obviously that didn't go over well. And so the next day I like tried to recover and so I did another thing you should never do with the person you love, which is I created an incentive system. And so it, it, the, the way it worked was if my wife kept her, her screen usage to less than an hour a day on weekdays and less than two and a half hours a day on weekend days. So it's still 10 hours a week of screen time. Um, then I would book her a massage at the end of the week. And so like you should never do that. But we got <laughs> pregnant the very next month. And so that really, like, I've read some things about this, but it really brought it home for me on a very personal level. And um, so honestly, if that was the end of the story, um, that would, I'd still be a software developer. Nothing would really be too different with me. But um, tragically and unfortunately, our daughter died uh, basically at, the, at her due, just after her due date. And so we went to the hospital thinking we were we were bringing home a child and and we did not. And so that was completely, um, I think, in a in a very like complete way, broke both of us. Mm-hmm. And so we were both just so low and just kind of like, you know, we got to this point where it's just like, who cares about anything? Yeah. And that's a very depressing kind of thought to have. Uh, but it, it was also in some sense liberating because, you know, I, I never would have thought, you know, I can start a business. I can, you know, I can do these things 
because like it, there's risk involved and, you know, I have to support the family and so on. And so it really opened up some new possibilities for me. And so that's sort of the, that's the origin of digital detangler. So I was reading everything I could, I could find um, kind of like the distracted mind, um, iGen, the joy of missing out. Like there's, there's just so many great books about this, everything by Nick Carr. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really like absorbing all this information and it's really blowing my mind because there were so many things that I, uh, that I thought were the case that just were not, you know I mean? There's, there's even like a study from like the late nineties, early two thousands where they have people using hypertext and using regular text, you know, you, you know, basically you have a website where you have uh, some, some article for something and an article against something. And you have to write a comparative essay comparing the two topics. And then there's, a, there's another group which is allowed to jump between the articles as they're reading to sort of compare and contrast as they go. And those ones did worse than the people who weren't able to jump between them. And then there was, there was experiments where they like, like put images in the, in the text and that actually hurts you. And so everything I thought I knew about technology and the internet was sort of flipped on its head in many ways. And, uh, and I, I also quite frankly, like I just sort of looked around and you just see so many people on devices and I, and I think they're, they're not happy with it. You know, um, just a couple like random examples. I'll let you ask the question. Like, like 48% of millennials, are worried about the negative impact of, of technology on themselves. And if you look at um, another great book is TechWise Family by Andy Crouch, and he references uh, statistics in his book that, uh, that millennial parents are more likely than Gen X or boomers to set lo- screen time limits on their children. And so it's just, you know, I think, I think that young people are aware of this. They're not naive. And um, there's, a, there's this, um, a survey of secondary students in the UK and two thirds of them. So two and three of them said that um, they wouldn't care if social media hadn't been invented. You know, like, like I don't, there's very little technology that I say that about, right? Like I don't say that about my television. I don't say that about my treadmill. I don't, I, I don't say that about my toothbrush, but, but like for, for people who are using it constantly to say that, and this is not like at the end of some digital detox this is just asking um, says to me that yes, young people are constantly connected, but but no, that doesn't mean they're satisfied. That doesn't mean they're you know they're happy customers. So, well, thank you for sharing. It's a really rich set of personal experiences that led you to where you are. I'm so sorry about your experience with your daughter, uh, and I know thank that you. you've taken all of this uh, to build a business and and shift your career in the direction of helping people to improve their relationships with technology. Maybe you can talk a little bit about then uh, the work that you do now uh, that grew out of all of these personal experiences and then learning that you did. Yeah. Yeah. So... So I'm, I'm, I'm figuring everything out every day. Um, but it's it's a it's a work in progress, and what I've found is that actually colleges and uh, universities are very interested in this kind of thing because as I, as I said, you know, like their students aren't like happy with the situation. Um, in fact, like uh, just to throw some more random stats at you, uh, the uh, more than in in 2016 for the first time ever, more than half of incoming freshmen 
rated their own mental health as below average. So, I mean, this is like a huge issue for young people. And they're, they're very much aware that they're not doing okay with it. And uh, I also think college is this unique time in your life when you sort of, you grow your autonomy. You know, in, in high school, you like, you want your autonomy so bad, but you, but you don't quite get it. And then in college, you really get to start to form your own personhood. And uh, so it's a really something very attractive to me to talk to college students. And that's where I've gotten the most traction uh, as far as speaking goes. And uh, so I've, I just spoke this past week at Vanderbilt, and then I'm speaking at uh, um, Wake Forest in March. So th- those are the kind of, kind of things I'm working on. And uh, I'm also in conversations with a couple uh, uh, corporations in Nashville because, you know, Kaspersky Labs had this publication that, that said that people were 26 percent more productive when they left their phone at home. <laughs> and uh, I mean, and and also if you look at stats on things like cyber slacking. So, you know, I mean, you're at work, but you're not actually doing work. You're distracted by your phone. Those types of things. I mean, the slacking in general at work over over the span of a week, it takes more than a, a full workday each week. Wow. And uh, more than half of that time is spent on a mo- mobile device. And so there's, I, I, th- I think companies and, uh, and universities are kind of waking up to this fact that, that we spend tons of time on devices. I mean, according to Nielsen, it's like 60 hours a week. And so even if you say like that's a little bit inflated or something, or sometimes we're watching TV and on our smartphones, like taken together, if you look at that time, if you examine it and then make adjustments to it, you can, you can open up massive amounts of time in your, in your otherwise like I'm so busy kind of week. There's a bunch of ways in which you've talked about how what you've experienced directly and and learned is contrary to the conventional wisdom. You know, one thing you just said really struck me about universities and corporations seeing the damage that's being done to people within their own organizations by technology. It's contrary to what I hear a lot of people thinking is true, which is when I talk to people about trying to attack digital distraction, they say, oh, well, how can we do it? All of the business models of the internet are driven by distracting people. Uh, the incentive is to keep doing it, but it seems to miss that there are other entities like a corporation that wants to maximize the productivity of his employees. It has a very different incentive than let's say the social media companies who need to earn money by distracting people. Right. Oh yes, certainly. And I think that, I think that's a great, great distinction to make. Um, because I think sometimes when we talk about technology in a negative way, it's it's as if like all technology is bad. And and I think Nicholas Carr makes a great distinction where he says, you know, tools are good. Tools expand our our abilities as humans. But but sort of media consumption, especially like unthought thought, thoughtless media consumption, really uh, tends to actually make your life more bland, make you bored more often. And uh, ultimately, like sucks your life force out. And uh, so if, if you're using tools with technology, if you're using technology as a tool to expand your world, to, to, to make connections you couldn't have before. And if you're an active participant, then then that can be good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of companies that are uh, really there's a, a few, a handful of tech companies that are just so dominant because um, because of this attention cycle they've got us in where. Where these like habit loops of you know feeling bored or despondent 
or listless. And uh, so you go to your smartphone and you get kind of like this little hit, this little, you know, bump in amusement. And it usually doesn't make you like happy. Like you're not actually laughing out loud. You're just like, you know, like interesting. And then eventually you go back through and that habit loop really becomes a money loop for, uh, for all these, these companies like Twitter and Google, Facebook, Instagram, these, these companies. And you can actually, because a lot of them are publicly traded, you can actually see their revenue because I, you know, I, every once in a while I talk to somebody who's kind of like doubting this whole, like it, it, it almost sounds like a conspiracy theory. Um, but it, you can, since these companies are publicly traded, they have to report their earnings and they have to report, you know, how much of that was from advertising. And so, like, for example, in Q2 of 2017, Twitter, 85% of their income was from advertising. And for Google, is 88%. And for Facebook, it's 98% of the revenue. Mm. So, I mean, I mean, it's it's sort of like unarguable that that you're not the customer. Right. And, and in a very real way, you are uh, the product. And of course, they care as far as you won't leave the platform. But but I don't really think that they are losing sleep over how much people are how much time people are spending on them. Yeah, you're saying they they want you to stay on, but once you're on, they're not looking out for your best interest. Right, right, exactly. And and I mean, I th- I think ultimately, like they they are sort of delivering this platform that that is interesting and new and cool. And there's a lot of functionality and interesting things going on there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's nobody going to tap you on the shoulder and say like, Hey, you've, you've, you've been on Facebook or you've been on Instagram for two hours, like stop. <laughs> and so that, that's the tricky, that's the tricky thing. And then an, another thing I think that, that I always think about with social media, is social media very often like fills in our gaps, like our few m- minutes of downtime between things. And uh, just to give you a sense, though, of how that time adds up, I, I work with individual clients from time to time. And uh, I was working with a client and we, we measured all of her, her usage. And she was spending 25 days of, of her year. She was going to spend 25 days of her year, like 24 hour days, just on the Facebook app, just on her phone. Wow. And so it's like that those little slices really add up when you when you stack them together. And, uh, but then the, the other thing I think, it, which, which gets talked about less, but is still a, a huge issue is, is how much television people are watching. And, um, you know, that is, is sort of a counter to the argument that like, I just use social media in the margins. Well, when people watch television, they tend to watch several episodes at a time, which, which means you're literally talking about hours a day. And, uh, that's, that, that's a massive Im- impediment to, to exploring other opportunities. It's just, it's just sort of one type of experience and you're, and you're limited in terms of what you're going to be exposed to when you, when you have this contained um, sort of device mediated experience. Mm. You, you've mentioned a few examples of things you do. Uh, I wonder if you could talk about some spe- specific tips or pointers you could give to people for things they can do to get their use of technology more under control or shift it in a direction that's more healthy and productive for them? Yeah. So thank you for asking. This is, this is like my favorite question. So <laughs> the first thing I would say is, um, cause I just love how you ask this at like pretty much every episode you say like, but what can people do? Um, and I think that's so useful. And, uh, so, so the first thing I would say is, is install some diagnostic software. 
And because it's sort of like, it's sort of like a dentist being like, we need to drill all your teeth. And it's like, whoa, you haven't even like look, you haven't even done an x-ray. <laughs> and uh, so, so I think it's important to install something that the software that I recommend, which is free um, for people to install is rescue time. And that will install on pretty much all your devices. Uh, the only exception to that is iOS, which is, which would be like your iPads and your iPhones. And so for those, I recommend an app called Moment. And what the, what those do is they'll just sit there and they just watch everything you do. And after a week or two, you look at them and uh, and you really start to see where your time is going. And at that point, you can you can kind of decide like how you feel about it. Is it, you know are you using too much um, of a certain website or a certain app? And you can really but but you have to be confronted with your own real usage in a way that. Um, you know, I, th- I think when we estimate our usage, we, we tend to underestimate it. So that's the first thing I'd say. And then the second thing is sort of like, I, gu- I guess just like to explain uh, something called fundamental attribution error. This is kind of like my philosophy of behavior change, which is like, so the fundamental attribution error is this uh, psychology con- concept which uh, which is best illustrated by just telling you a, a story about when my wife and I first moved to Nashville. Sure. And so when we first moved to Nashville, we didn't have like any friends. And uh, we had one mutual friend who lived in Nashville. And her name was Emily. And so Emily invited us over to this rooftop party she threw. And so the whole thing was just like all of her friends were going to meet us. And if you'd have like one of these sort of early 2000s confessional booths, right? Like they do on reality TV. And you'd pulled one of her friends in and asked them to describe my wife and I. Almost certainly they would have said we were shy, timid, maybe even standoffish. And then if you like went, you cut to me in in the confessional booth later, I would have been like, think about this. Like I, I know no one at this party and these other people, they know everyone but me at the party. <laughs> And so that like perfectly illustrates this, this idea of the fundamental attribution error, which is our tendency to view other people, other people's actions as like sort of personality attributes. And when we talk about our own, our own actions, we tend to point to situational factors. Mm-hmm. And this is like profoundly dissettling because we like to think of ourselves as like the same person, you know, and like situation A, I'm Pete, just like I am in situation B, I'm Pete, situation C, I'm Pete. And um, that's not always the case. And it can also, though, open up some opportunities in terms of like certain goals you want to pursue. If you want to be the certain type of person, if you want to achieve a certain type of thing, it becomes this this challenge to surround yourself with a situation that's going to make you more likely to be that way. And so I'm all about being like basically ruthless with your environment. And so when it comes to a phone, right, that means things like reorganizing your home screen so that you you only have tools, right? So you have maybe your calendar, you have your messaging, or you have your camera, but you just don't have a bunch of apps. And uh, another thing I recommend is, is typing to open apps. And there's a launcher I use called Nova Launcher, or there's another cool one coming out called CMPO. And what those do is, is they sort of allow you to type to launch your apps. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, it disrupts your muscle memory of constantly popping in and opening the same app. The, the other thing I really recommend for people, and I'm just like pretty hardcore, like I'm not really like apologetic about this because I, th- I think 
we're spending so much time on these apps and, and there, there are answers to these questions. And so for something like if you have a, a big Instagram problem on your phone, like delete Instagram. Yeah. And uh, I really say delete email off of your phone. And I say delete any infinite scroll app. So that's like an app with a thumb treadmill, you know, where you, yes. you go into the app and you just keep scrolling and you just keep scrolling and it loads new things as you get to the bottom. So I just consider that like a poor design. And, uh, and then the other thing is using do not disturb settings to protect your, uh, yourself during sleep, particularly. And so if you do all that, that's, that's great for your phone. But, uh, I'm really, I'm all about pushing your, your time from your phone onto your laptop. And there's a couple reasons for that. The first is that phones really are primarily media consumption devices, right? They're great for watching YouTube videos. They're great for streaming video, um, but or maybe even looking at your friend's photos or short things like tweeting. But if you need to do real work, if you get a, an important email, right, like very few people respond in full uh, on a phone. Mm-hmm. And so you just you have that laptop with a, with a keyboard, which sort of suggests input and a, a sort of an active input. And the other th- the other major advantage I think laptops have over phones is that, um, or, or your desktop computer, but they're, they're closed or they're off when you're driving and when you're eating. And that's just not true about phones. And, uh, so anything you do on your phone and your laptop, I recommend you just do on your laptop. So a lot of social media, it's, you know, it's, it's hard for, for people to completely quit. And, you know, uh, some people like it, right? There's definitely positives to it. But I recommend for sure that you just do it on your laptop because that way you can sort of con- contain it in a way that you can't on your phone or that it's much harder to do on your phone. And um, as, as far as what you can do with your laptop to sort of put some guardrails on your Internet use, there's a, there's a ton of things I recommend. The, f- the first and like the e- I'm going to start maybe like easiest to like most hardcore. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the first thing you can do with your laptop is uh, turn off autoplay on YouTube. Uh, so it's just up up in the top right hand corner, and that's going to prevent another video from automatically loading. And you can do the same thing with Netflix. I highly recommend. Like if you do that alone and you watch Netflix regularly, like that just saves you like a hundred hours over your next year. <laughs> and um, so that is, I mean, you have to click through a few screens to get into the playback settings, um, but it's it's fairly simple to do. And then the, the next is a, is a category of uh, sort of browse things that you can bolt onto the browser. So if you use Chrome, they're called Chrome extensions. And so 77% of people use Chrome. So all of my examples are, are Chrome extensions. And so these in some way change your experience of browsing the Internet and in, in all kinds of different ways. So I'll describe a few of those. But if you use a different browser, if you use Safari, if you use uh, Firefox, a lot of these or something similar is available. Um, so you can check those out as well. But all these are through the available through the Chrome Web Store. And um, so the first one is I, that I use is called uBlock Origin. And it's, it's just a, an ad blocker. There's another ad blocker called AdBlock Plus. And uh, so that just removes ads from the Internet, sort of declutters things. And uh, another... Another great one is uh, called Mercury Reader. And what Mercury Reader does is when you're reading an article, it very often, you know, on something like, especially something like BuzzFeed or Huffington Post, like there's so many links along the side, like you're never going to make it to the bottom of an article. 
And so this provides this little button up in the top right of your, uh, just to the right of your URL. And when you click on it, it isolates the story you're in. So it, it scraps everything except for the images, videos, and text of the, of the main article on the page. So that's, that's a great way to actually like get to the bottom of things. Another thing I tell people, if you've never done this, is when you, if, if you're reading and there's a link to something, if you hold down the control key or it's a command key on a Mac and when, and, and then click the link, it will open it up in a new tab, but it will not take you to that tab. So it's a great way to say, Hey, I, I want to check this out later, but I'm getting to the bottom of this article. So just by holding control or command while you click the link. And uh, so there's a, there's a few more, if you don't mind me keep, keep it no, going. Keep going. This is great. I really like, you know, very <laughs> practical tips that people can start using. Yeah. So, so some more Chrome extensions that I'm a huge fan of. Um, this one, like I'm super biased because I created it, but it's called scroll stopper. And so what it does is it takes, um, I guess it works on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, Pinterest. And, and, and so, so what it does is it takes that infinite scroll, your news feed, and it just cuts it off at the bottom. You know, and normally it just loads more stuff up. But uh, when you're using Scroll Stopper, it just limits you. It says, you know, like you can come to Facebook, have a good time. But like at some point, like you're not going to see more stuff. And uh, so, so that's a great way to regulate how long you spend on those sites. Um, the other one that I think is really powerful is called StyleBot. And it allows you to click on things and remove them from websites. And it's like permanent. So if you don't like, for example, when I was a teacher, I always use this because I wouldn't want students to see the comments under YouTube videos if I'd show them a YouTube video. And uh, because it's obviously just like you never know what's going to be typed in there. And so I just removed the entire comment section. And uh, you can do that on all kinds of platforms. And it's, it's really, I think, powerful because it gives you control over sort of the experience you have at these, especially websites that you go to all the time. So uh, that's Starbot. And then uh, just a couple more is uh, inbox when ready for Gmail. If you have Gmail, what this does is it hides your inbox by default. So, so often I would go, go into my email and then like, I'm like about to type this important email. And then I just completely forget because I, ha I have basically a to-do list, which is like my email inbox. And, uh, and so what it does is it hides it. And so you can send an email you can look up an email, um, but you, you have to click to show your inbox. And then you can do all kinds of cool things. Like you can limit how, how many times you can see your inbox. You can lock yourself out on a schedule. Mm -hmm. So like I can't see my inbox until 10 a.m. Just so that I, I don't sort of waste the most productive time of my day on my inbox. Um, an another really cool Chrome extension is called Nanny for Google Chrome. And so that lets you set these rules for your own uh, browsing. So you can say like, you know, when I'm at work from nine to five, like I'm going to use Instagram, but no more than 10 minutes or I'm going to use, you know, you can, you can group in five, five sites. I'm going to use these five sites, no more than two hours each day. Right. And so that allows you to sort of regulate yourself. It, it puts your sort of best intentional <laughs> self there, like sort of like knocking you in the right direction when you're when your willpower is at its lowest. 
I really like this way of thinking about it, which is that, you know, in, in mindfulness practice, what we're often looking to do is create some kind of change in our self in those moments when we're hurried or frantic and, you know, s- set aside some other time when we're calm and thinking rationally, <laughs> perhaps, and not carried away <laughs> to develop that capacity to be, be mindful in the moment uh, when we need it. And what you're talking about is, you know, really taking advantage of separate time when you can make a rational decision about what's best for you and not just relying on yourself then to act on when you need it, but as you said, changing the environment, changing the technology in such a way that when the time comes when you might otherwise go ahead and use you know your inbox for a half an hour when you didn't want to, the technology is set up to not quite enforce what your original intention is, but help you stick to what you previously decided to do. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like it's it's nud it nudges you in the right direction, and in a way, I, I know Tristan Harris always talks about um, the way that it's not really fair because any like willpower you have is being kind of thwarted by these hundreds of engineers trying to break that willpower down. But, uh, you know, to me, you can install some of these tools and you get some engineers on your side of the equation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a great way to uh, stay focused when you're trying to work online. The, the last thing I wanted to mention is there's a, there's another great um, extension called text mode and it removes images from the internet. Mm. And if you've never experienced that, it is a completely different experience because we we process imagery like 60,000 times faster than we process words. And so that's that's part of the reason we get yanked around um, on all these different websites is because the images are so compelling. And so if you turn off the images, like you basically immediately turn off the distraction hose. And uh, so that's a that's a, that's the final really really interesting one I, I wanted to point out. But yeah, and it, it, you know I think it's it's not all about changing your environment. I, I think it's important to develop um, that compassion for yourself and and leaving space for you know not checking wasting time in your inbox occasionally um, and sort of not just basically becoming a productivity robot, um, but. But uh, it's definitely, I think, important that people have um, the knowledge that these things exist and uh, you can sort of take control when you when you need to in terms of your your online and and on your online use. And uh, I do I do also talk about um, developing a, a gratitude practice. So it's sort of like, you know, you want to alter your environment, but then also alter altering yourself via things like gratitude practice. Um, you know, that could just be like writing a list of things you're thankful for. That could be a gratitude letter to someone who's impacted you positively. It could just be like calling, you know, Target's customer service and being like, hey, someone was nice to me. You know, <laughs> the, the cashier made eye contact with me today and her name is, you know, or his name is this. So that kind of thing, I, th- I think really has benefits if done on a in particular when done on a recurring basis. And then obviously, like I'm, I'm all about mindfulness and uh, I've, I've had a daily practice for a few years now and uh, that makes such a huge difference. It doesn't like make everything better, but it definitely kind of like turns the dial in a positive direction. And uh, 
So I'm also like my one of my more harebrained ideas I'm cooking up right now with uh, with mindfulness is I've been meditating using Insight Timer, and uh, so that's a great app. And and people can put up all these meditations, and so I have this idea for meditations that get interrupted by technology sounds. <laughs> and so you sort of like you desensitize yourself so you don't get that blood pressure spike every time your phone dings mm-hmm. because you're sort of like you have grown accustomed to it. So but but anyways, I, I mean I'm 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 doing all kinds of things sort of like pushing in this direction of of putting users back in control and uh and giving them sort of the tools necessary to to make more mindful uses of that of the te- technology whenever possible. Yeah, it's it feels very uh, motivating and empowering to hear about it. You know, I've been using technology for a long time. Uh, I was a programmer, so I, I have the experience of feeling empowered to make technology do what I want it to do. But I'll say that in recent years, I often don't feel that. <laughs> and <laughs> right, right. Uh, I, I speak to a lot of people. It seems like uh, if if they their only experience, let's say, with the internet has been in the last five or ten years. If they're not a programmer or a designer of technology, the attitude is is seems to me like one of resignation. Like, well, this is what the technology is. There's really nothing we can do about it. It's always going to be this way, and we just have to take it as is and make the best of it. And you know what you're talking about is the fact that even for people who aren't programmers or designers, there's a lot of ways in which they actually don't have to accept the technology just as it is. They can change or configure how it works better for them. And it's a very empowering message. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's so huge. I I had a moment when I was software developer where uh, we were meeting with a client and it was, you know, I mean, from the back end of the software, there were some very weird things that I was not pleased with. And I was like, we need to change it to do this, this, this. And I sort of came in with this like tact of like, we got to, we got to straighten things out. And, um, the, one of the product owners came to me like after and he was like, so like, there's some things you don't understand (laughs) about, about our, our needs. And it's like, you know, every one of my like things we needed to change was really just a, a misunderstanding of the problem that was trying to be solved. And I, th- I think to some degree, um, a lot of that is occurring with technology where it's like we're just given these tools. And I think it's it's sort of on us to say, like, I don't like this, <laughs> you know, this about it. The world is more complicated than than it's being presented to me or, you know, you know what, like I cannot use this technology or this device or this platform at this time of day. It's it's not good for me, but I'm happy using it at this time of day. And those kinds of things need to be um, negotiated uh, in each person's life. And, and you need to sort of address that and look at that in order to, to regain that control so that you're not kind of just like a passive consumer. Um, because ultimately, like, I think you could get by being a passive consumer of some of the technology, like especially prior to TV. But then once TV comes, I mean, it just takes so much time. And then now with the internet, it's like, if if you're just a passive consumer, you're spending so much time um, passively consuming and and digesting these ads and so on 
that uh, that it's really it's it's going to impair um, your life dreams. It's going to impair your relationships, and uh, that that really is is where I think people start to chafe at uh, at the design of some of it. So, um, yeah. I wonder if you have any uh, suggestions or thoughts about this idea of a conversation, as you just mentioned it. I mean, I think very often in the technology world, uh, it may be true that a technology company listens to its customers. So in some sense, there's a one-way flow of information, uh, but not much of an actual conversation in terms of a dialogue going back and forth between let's just call people users and developers of technology. Uh, what are your thoughts about shifting things more in the direction of a dialogue or a conversation? Yeah, I mean, so th that's so difficult. And I think that, that part of the reason I really like to talk about what users can do today, right? How can you take back control without kind of convincing Facebook that their business model is is it's not good for people's well-being, right? <laughs> so there's definitely a need to uh, push back at that. And uh, like it, what comes to mind is, uh, is Tristan Harris, and they just announced the Center for Humane Technology. Yeah, so the, I guess one of the final things I, I would recommend, and this is recommended in uh, the TechWise family, is, is creating a space, you know, wherever your family just hangs out just naturally where you coalesce, sort of make that a space where there are engaging things, you know, creative pursuits, um, whether that be art, whether it be music, whether that be, you know, sort of tools and building things, but, uh, and, and keep as much as you can sort of televisions or, or devices sort of out or, or difficult to use by default. Because I, I think a lot of times we sit in our living room and like, there's the TV. And so it's just so easy to sort of tune out uh, and, and I think it, it sort of limits the type of experiences we can have. And, you know, I'm just all about people having the opportunity to make those choices that they want to make and, uh, and pursue their own goals uh, and use technology to help them achieve those goals sort of after the fact that they've, they've pinpointed what they're, what they're interested in or what they want to go towards, as opposed to sort of starting using technology and then it, it takes you where it wants to take you, where you're, you're less in control. That's really great. Yeah, thanks so much. It's a great, uh, motivating, uh, inspiring suggestion to wrap up on. And thanks so much, Pete, for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Robert. Um, if anybody wants to hear more about uh, what I'm doing, my website is digitaldetangler.com and my email address is pete at digitaldetangler.com and uh, feel free to check me out. I'm, I'm pretty limited on what social media I'm on, but I am on LinkedIn. So I uh, appreciate your time and uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Pete Dunlap, also known as the Digital Detangler, who shared with us a wide variety of ways to be both more calm and more productive in our use of technology. Find him online at digitaldetangler.com. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and share the episode with your friends. Those and all other links are in the show notes. 
and check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with Eowyn Alstrom, a mindfulness meditation and yoga teacher who will explore with us the promises and challenges of bringing mindfulness teaching online.